Hello, you're listening to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. Today is February 28, 2019, and I'm your host, Andrew Robinson. Today, our conversation focuses on India and Pakistan. To provide some background, on February 14th, a terrorist attack killed 40 Indian soldiers in Indian-controlled Kashmir. India claimed this week that it launched airstrikes into Pakistani territory against the terrorist groups responsible for the 14th attack. This Wednesday, a confrontation occurred between Pakistani and Indian fighter jets, which resulted in Indian aircraft being shot down and a pilot captured by Pakistani forces. As this was recorded, Pakistani and Indian governments had begun negotiations for the return of the Indian pilot. I'm happy to have Rachel Washburn and Major General James Spidermarks discuss this situation involving two nuclear-armed nations. At this time, I'll turn it over to them. Rachel? Sir, we've seen um, some rising tensions between two nuclear powers with India and Pakistan exchanging some kinetic activity in the contested area of Kashmir. Can you discuss um, how you see this evolving situation as it stands today? Well, what we have to do is keep in mind that, you know, tensions between India and Pakistan have always been at what I would call an accepted level of um, almost breaking. Let me put it to you that way. The the reason it doesn't break is because both of these nations are, as you indicated, nuclear powers. And there's an incredible level of really two things. One, there's a, a level of rationality that goes into the possession of nuke, the development of the deployment of the acceptance of nuclear weapons and then international protocols around those things. So we can always bring, you can expect the temperature to go down um, when nuclear weapons uh, remain as an ultimate choice to be used. But secondly, is that there's a real mechanism in place. I mean, you have command and control uh, issues and protocols. You have indications and warning. You have a hotline that exists between New Delhi and Islamabad that was put in place and 2004. And so there are mechanisms in place to keep this thing from boiling over. And what you see below that, you know, that apocalyptic potential outcome is some real command and control and some measured reactions. However, having said all that, there is violence. It takes place in a matter of routine. Uh, Soldiers in the Kashmir region on both the Pak side and the India side are killed routinely, which is a shame. And the challenge is, is that both of these nations have learned to live with this level of vitriol violence under the specter of the potentiality of a nuclear exchange. And so my, my reaction to this is, this is sadly, it's normal. Um, what we've seen most recently was a terrorist attack in India, quote, sponsored by the PACs or at least acknowledged by the PACs or at least um, acquiesced by the government in Islamabad. That causes the Indians to have some major, major concerns. They responded. They lost two aircraft. But again, I think we're at a level where this is all being contained. To that exact point, sir, you know, obviously the United States has had some um, contentious diplomatic relationships with Pakistan over their either tacit or direct support to Islamic extremist organizations. Uh, Can you discuss you know, that element in this particular circumstance with India, how Pakistan's supposed support of JEM contributed to this evolving situation. Yeah, the, 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 this is a part of the world where there's a really incredible balance. Um, it's very, very delicate, and there are pressure points from a whole bunch of different angles. First of all, I think it would be fair to say without making too broad a statement that the Chinese and the PACs 
have always had a relatively solid relationship. The Indians and the Russians have had a solid military relationship for years. The United States has worked very closely with the Pakistanis. We've had our differences. Clearly, we know what they are. You know, they housed Osama bin Laden for years. We decided to take him out. We didn't notify the Pakistanis. We knew that if we did, he would have walked away and he would never have been killed. So we... And we also have this burgeoning relationship with India uh, at the very top political level. I mean, look, the prime minister of India, Modi, is no fan of the Islamic State in Islamabad. Uh, he has made that absolutely crystal clear. So there, there are some real levels of tension. And again, let there be no doubt that I would say with complete confidence and with inarguably that Pakistan is now the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Um, that's a problem. And the United States has a very strong effort to ensure that we can continue to rely on the Pakistanis in terms of access to places uh, in the region to use it as a jumping off place. But there are some very delicate uh, relationships that we have to maintain in order for us to do that. In other words, this is one of those relationships where Washington and Islamabad, Washington and New Delhi, have to agree in very specific detail about what the um, what what the levels of engagement will look like and what specifically will be allowed. Um, that takes very strong diplomatic efforts on everybody's part. So this is a part of the world where we are intimate, intimately involved. The results are, frankly, never what you would hope for in terms of a solid black or white or very. Um, well-defined response. So we have to go through this, this dance all the time, and we do it, frankly, through very hard diplomatic work, very hard military relations and exchanges that take place. Economic engagement obviously is there. This has the real likelihood of blowing up, but it's not going to blow up in a nuclear way. However, we have to be very mindful of that, and that's why you behave in that part of the world is because of the specter of nukes. In the past, we've discussed on this podcast India's rising influence globally. Uh, economically, they're becoming much more influential and absolute powerhouse. Of course, they're the world's largest democracy. Uh, militarily, they've just dispatched their first nuclear submarine. And uh, General Marks, as you've pointed out, they are exerting global and diplomatic influence abroad in a way that they haven't in the past. How does this rising influence on the global stage inform and impact the current crisis with Pakistan? Oh, very much so. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take much. It's not like India has to advertise the fact that they're um, essentially, I would say by population, the, the world's second largest uh, nation. Um, it's educational development. It's infrastructure development, it, the energy of its people is absolutely bespoke, and we have known that forever. And it happens to be at this point in time that the U.S. and India seem to have a confluence of interest relative to major thorny problems that we both face. And let's start with terrorism. Uh, India is a, is a friend in court, and we have realized that with the elevation of Prime Minister Modi, the United States and India seem to have more in common than they don't have in common. And Pakistan is, is a challenge that we've not been able to fully get our arms around, yet we've had very strong relationships with Pakistan, yet they've had their 
Um, they, we, we've had challenges with that, obviously, in the recent past, especially in our the past 17 years with the conflicts that we've had to fight in that part of the world um, and to use Pakistan as a good friend to allow us to have access to that part of the world. So it's very, you know, it's very troubling to me. And then internationally, New Delhi has this incredible capability, this, this growth, this power, this prominence, um, and we need to really embrace that more fully. I mean, I routinely look at our, our engagement in the United Nations, and I wonder, why is India not elevated to uh, status as a member of the, uh, of, of the Security Council within the, uh, within the United Nations? I'm just not certain why. We have five permanent members. Why don't we have six? India has the economic in- chops. It's got the political chops. It certainly has, it has the world's second largest active component military. It's well-organized. It's well-trained. On a personal level, I have trained with the Indian military before. These are professional soldiers. This is not a ragtag group of thrown-together um, folks. This is highly professional with access to nuclear weapons and well-trained at the very lowest levels of engagement. These are strong, tough people. Um, and the United States should really become an advocate for India because I think we've determined we have more in common than we don't have in common, and that should work to everybody's advantage. So yes, India very much has to look at these conflicts that will that are very regionally focused. They have long history tales to them. The Pacs and the Indians will forever be at each other's throats, specifically in the Kashmir region. It's been contested for decades and decades, if not centuries. But the good news is it's at least at a manageable level of violence, which we can say with some degree of confidence. I'm not concerned that it's going to progress to something that's far worse. In other words, the exchange of nukes, which would be, I think in my mind, uncontrollable. But India is very much aware of the fact that it's got this testy relationship with Pakistan. It has to be able to work through that it can't allow certain levels of violence to occur in its country when the clear perpetrators, or at least there is acquiescence on the part of Islamabad in terms of what the, how those acts were put together. And India is going to act very, very aggressively, ag- aggressively in its own national interest. Uh, the United States can watch, but the United States can get involved. The international community should be involved. I think the United Nations is one of those paths. I'm not sh- certain that New Delhi has stated that they are aspirationally looking to be a, a more elevated member in the United Nations, but it certainly would be timely if they did, and it would certainly put um, a different kind of a perspective on what those relationships look like. The challenge would be, obviously, is Islamabad would see that as a direct threat. So, again, although it may make perfect sense in terms of size and engagement, um, all those other factors are not um, irrelevant and are not without consequence. Sir, given the conditions we've discussed today and India's rising influence on the global stage, what is your overall assessment of the current violence between India and Pakistan? Should we be advising our clients to view this rise in tensions as more of the status quo, or do you see this bubbling over into you know, a larger existential crisis that ultimately will have a strategic and broad market and global impact? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I would say that um, what we're seeing right now is not status quo. Clearly, this is a manageable challenge that both Pakistan and India will address with a level of measured leadership 
and I think cooler heads will allow this to dissipate, but the problem remains. In other words, it'll yo-yo back to what it was before. I think there will be a level of normalcy uh, that we will see in terms of this relationship, but bear in mind this relationship always has a level of tension associated with it. So I think this is unique. The level of this, the attack on February 14th in India, India's response with aircraft the last couple of days, the fact that there is now a, quote, prisoner of war as a result of two aircraft being shot down. That is unique in terms of the level of tactical engagement, but I think it's going to yo-yo back to what it was before. Um, the challenge is, is that this level of tension exists and is not going to change. That, re that is the normal that I think the markets have embraced and can understand that is going to be the normal going forward. And I would suggest that this type of an engagement, because it's an aberration in terms of the level of violence, what took place in India and what has now taken place in Pakistan, um, should not be surprising. But I think there is a behind-the-scenes effort that is taking place within the military and well as the diplomatic, the governance side that's saying, okay, guys, we've got to figure out how this happened and how we allowed this thing to escalate so quickly. So we're at this point. Yet on the international stage, both of those leaders, you know, Imran Khan in Islamabad and Modi in, in New Delhi have to be able to state very strongly to their people that they will not be pushed around in this regard and that what we've learned to accept as normal is going to stay normal. It's not going to go away, but we've got to be able to make sure that we can return, we can yo-yo back to what those conditions were a priori. Thank you, General Marks and Rachel, for sharing your perspectives with us. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time. If you have an interest in engaging our geopolitical and macro strategy experts directly, please email us at info at academysecurities.com. Academy Securities is a service-disabled, veteran-owned investment bank with a social mission to hire, train, and mentor military veterans to develop careers in finance. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.